Welcome to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One Consulting. This is your go-to podcast on optimizing your day. The Win the 16 podcast features discussions on leadership and coaching, personal and professional development, as well as discussions on the modern work culture and engaging employees in hybrid and remote work environments. Your hosts are Dave Pygon, president of Pygon One Consulting, and his brother, Dr. Bud Pygon, anesthesiologist at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Today on episode 17, Dave and Bud discuss two books that help them optimize productivity and leadership. Thank you for listening. Welcome and thank you to listening to the Win the 16 podcast. Thank you to Carrie and the team for the support. I'm Dave Pygon, joined by my co-host and brother, Dr. Bud Pygon. Bud, how you doing? Dave, I don't think I could be better. Uh, you're consistent. You're a rock. We missed you last week talking about risk, but uh, glad to have you this week. But before we jump into our topics today, a couple items I thought I would share. share. Our audience continues to grow. We are being listened to in five continents. If you want to connect with us about the podcast, if you have any thoughts or questions, please reach out to us at pygon1.com. That's P-Y-G-O-N. One.com. If you want to reach out about Pygon One Consulting or Win the 16 Principles and Strategies to Optimize Your Day book, you also can connect with us at Pygon1.com. Secondly, Win the 16 book is available on Amazon. So for all of you who have purchased it already, thank you so much. It's truly an honor to have you purchasing the book as well as reading it and uh, just very appreciative of that. Dave, what kind of feedback have you been getting on the book? Oh, but I, I meant what I said, first of all, it's an honor to have people when they say, hey, I'm reading your book or I just bought it or I read it. And I'll just leave one because I we, we got to get to other topics. Here. But the one thing that I didn't think about, and that is this, people have read the book said, have told me, said, Dave, you know what's really good about this book is that I'm going to be able to take this book out in two months, six months. Uh, when I reflect back and say, boy, maybe there's, I, I want to dive into change agility or mental toughness, for example. You have uh, chapters on those subjects. I can go back to this. This book is something that can live and go on. Uh, maybe I have an employee at work. There's something in that book. Maybe it's time management, for instance. I can go back to that, steal some tips and share it with them. So I thought that was a pretty cool feedback. I don't know when I was writing it, if I was thinking that going through the process, bud. That's so th amazing. So that was something I, I, that jumped out. So I think it's gonna be a coffee table book or in people's offices where they can go back to. So that was, that that was pretty cool. So bud, today's topics in it for this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about op optimizing our production and happiness at work. And I'm going to discuss a book that touches on that. And it's a fable. I know I came and run with that theme lately, but I read it, uh, the, this book uh, within the last month. Also, you are going to discuss Bill Russell's book on leadership and his principles. So we're going to use these two books to talk about those two topics. But why don't you go first and introduce everybody to Bill Russell's leadership book, and we'll dive into that topic. 
Yeah, the, the title of the book is Russell Rules. Um, and ever since he passed away recently, um, he's become someone who's really fascinating to me. I, I never saw him play, too young for that. Did see Chamberlain play and was always more of a Chamberlain guy uh, because when you just look at the pure counting stats, I mean, Russell can't hold a candle to him. Uh, it's only when you dig a little bit deeper and go into really the things that matter, right, winning and championships uh, is where Russell really stands out. Um, Bill Simmons' book of basketball, which I highly recommend anyone who's interested in basketball, has a chapter devoted to the Russell versus Chamberlain uh, debate. And in it, he closes with Chamberlain was traded three different times by his team, you know, team. And he goes, the Celtics would have never, ever considered trading Russell. Uh, that's how vital he was. Um, you had mentioned too, you know, there are people that probably don't have never even heard of Bill Russell, which is, you know, dating myself. That's hard to imagine. Uh, <laughs> so I just want to go through a couple of things before we get into the book. Five-time MVP, 12-time All-Star an absolutely brilliant athlete. This is something I didn't appreciate. Um, he was, he was essentially an Olympic high jumper. Um, his, his high school or his college high jumping height was the equivalent of the United States Olympic high jumper. And because of a conflict, uh, with basketball, he wasn't allowed to participate in the high jumping. He was also a great 400 meter runner. So here was a guy with six ten and could run like a guard, um, and could jump out of the gym. But you want to share with everybody the era he played in. So when you say ran like a guard, might put it in perspective. Yeah, he he was the six ten center in the nineteen fifties and sixties. Correct, nineteen fifties right. and sixties. This is not the he, LeBron era. Of no, today. no, he jumped. He he's his highest uh, height was six feet nine and a half inches, which was at that time the uh, United States Olympic uh, champions highest and it was before the Fosberg flop so you really were just literally jumping over and scissoring over the bar so you can only imagine what that looked like um a couple other stats he, he remains number one in the nba in defensive win shares at 133.6 take a guess who's number two take a guess who's number two ah uh, i was amazed michael tim duncan okay at 106 I so never would have guessed. Yeah. Never would have guessed. And not even close. Uh, block shots were in a recorded stat. It's kind of like in the NFL, some of these pass rushers in the earlier era, they didn't really count sacks. So it's hard to make some estimate. But they've estimated that, that Russell averaged 8.1 8 blocks per game. And that number went up in the playoffs. And he had some playoff series years where he averaged 15 blocks a game. So he was essentially averaging a triple-double with points, rebounds, and blocks. Wow. Um, Bill Bradley called him the smartest player to ever play the game. And, and that's what stood out to me when I read the Russell Rules books. He was almost an analytic player before there were analytics. Um, he would study teams, and you didn't have the computers and the laser diagrams that tell you where people were shooting from and the hot spots and calculating their per shooting percentages. Chamberlain, I mean, sorry, Russell kind of did that all in his head. Um, and he talks about in the book about how their whole point of defense was to make people uncomfortable and to move them to positions and places where they were less likely to hit shots. And then because of that, 
knowing where you move them defensively and their defense move them there, then it was easier to calculate where the ball would come off statistically for rebounds. And so he could position himself there uh, as well for rebounding. And then, because he would play the game on this sort of three-dimensional level, is then he could know where to position the guard so they could get out on their vaunted fast break. Um, so when Bradley said that after reading the book, I was like, yeah, I, I don't know too many people who are playing the game at that kind of a level. Uh, and then you talk about a winner. One back-to-back -back NCAA titles at USF, or yeah, USF, their only titles in their history, then won 11 NBA championships in 13 years. One of the years they lost, he was hurt. And in that time, he won an Olympic gold medal. Um, he talks about, he exhibited these incredible qualities that are, um, I think, crucial for leaders, right? He was incredibly self-aware, highly intelligent, carried himself with incredible dignity and integrity. A um, couple things in the book that I thought just were really interesting. He felt Will Chamberlain was the best player he ever played against and was a great human being and considered him a dear friend. Um, in the 90s, his grandson asked him once if he felt um, uh, that he was as good as Michael Jordan. And Russell's retort was, you got the question backwards. <laughs> the question is, is, was Michael Jordan as good as Michael oh. I, I love yes. that. <laughs> uh, and he does go on to say, though, that he felt Michael Jordan was the best player he ever saw. You have to remember this was before Le LeBron was still in high school when he said this, so he hadn't had a chance to see him play. Yeah. And I, what stands out, for those listening today who aren't big basketball fans, what's so impressive about Bill Russell is, is all the other things he did, all the intangibles of leadership, the analytics that he was doing in the 50s and 60s, the mindset he had, uh, basketball just happened to be the tool, but the things that he was exhibiting, all of us can learn from no matter what our fields are or our passions in life. And that's why when Bud said, hey, I'm going to do Russell Rules, I'm like, perfect. It's such a great, he has so many lessons for all of us that we could take away. We'd be better in our professional and personal careers. Yeah, they, and, and that's why, um, I think that's why he was special. I think that's why he was such a winner. Um, and that's why I think this book is worth your time. There will be things in this book that you read that will be incredibly familiar to anyone who is out on a leadership uh, journey, who has read Win the 16. Um, there are a lot of, there's a lot of overlap. It, it's really a book about skill sets, right? And we talk about that all the time, right? That these are skills. Uh, and, and Russell really believed that. And they're mostly mental and emotional skills that are necessary for winning. He talks about being an acquired habit, right? Which sounds very familiar to what we've been preaching here on Win the 16. Um, you know, people talked about the Celtic mystique and he, he dismissed that. He goes, we were dedicated professionals. We did our jobs very well from the owner, the coach, the players, the locker room attendants. There was always this unspoken understanding that all of us were there for one simple reason, winning. And you know what, I wanna interject on that one. That you and I talk about it all the time, and you, you've you've been talking about this forever, uh, especially when I look at some of our sports teams here in Chicago. And what there's there's organizations out there that are run just like the Celtics, from the top, the middle management, uh, to the everybody in that organization. There's alignment. They're professionals, and they're humming. Then there's other organizations out there. Some of them are doing well despite themselves. They're, 
they're getting by for whatever reason at a high level, not because they're aligned. They could probably, let me rephrase it, they could absolutely be even better if they had this alignment that Bill Russell talks about with his, how his Celtics were aligned from the owner all the way throughout the organization. I mean, that's the takeaway for me in this, one of the takeaways for me in this book. Yeah, and he attributes that to Walter Brown, the owner, and then really Brett Arbach. Um, you know, we talk about this, you know, the, the NFL cuts their teams a check for, you know, over $250 million every year from the TV revenue. Their cap is 170. So, so every year they're guaranteed an $80 million profit. For many of the teams, it's an annuity, mm. right? So whether they win or lose is irrelevant because that check's coming in. You know, obviously winning is better, but they still get that check if they lose. Uh, baseball has profit sharing now. So a lot of teams are getting checks cut to them, 30, 40, $50 million that goes right to their bottom line. So as long as they run the business at a break even, that profit sharing check comes in from the high earning teams that goes right to their bottom line. So it's not quite as lucrative as the NFL, but those teams are making money. Um, you know, so there's a difference and we've talked about this too. Why do the Steelers win every year? Right. And how come some teams lose every year? Right. So it really is about the organization. Uh, and I think, you know, Russell talks a lot about that. Um, you know, he, you know, by his force of will and his actions, um, he led and his teammates followed. And, and that's where I think the real similarity and why he's such a great leader is because that's the kind of stuff that great leaders do. Um, he talks about teamwork and pride as the driving forces, you know. They had a culture that was practiced, lived, and breathed. Each person was responsible, and they were driven by a determination never to embarrass themselves, right, and never to let the other teammate down. Um, so the book just goes then into 11 lessons, and obviously they picked 11 because that's how many titles he won. Um, but they're, again, just, I think, really great uh, reminders of what it takes to be a leader, Um and uh, obviously that's something that we've been spending a lot of time in something we're both very interested in you know he talks about uh leaders their commitment begins with the curiosity right good questions are more important than easy answers curiosity is a process challenge yourself through self-evaluation that's a lot of the different uh disc tests and other tests that you take about yourself to help you make yourself more aware uh, he describes curiosity as a verb right do, solve, experiment, try, fail, accomplish, right? Think of it in those terms, uh, which is valuable lessons. His next lesson is ego equals MC squared, right? He goes, your ego, he goes, tie your ego to your team's ego, not your personal ones, right? Establish a culture around your group's success. You go, vest in people and the process. Help everyone understand where the group is going, how they're going to get there, and share in decision-making. Create that unselfishness is the most important team characteristic, right? And we talk about that for a business lesson, right? His third lesson, listening is never casual, right? It's way more important than talking. It's also a skill like we've talked about, right? Requires you to subordinate your own views. Listen, be mindful of the words and phrases that you choose. Those, it will help others listen more effectively and follow you, right? talks about toughness or tenderness. Successive organizations really are benevolent and 
dictatorships. And these are the kind of things that we really don't talk much about more, but he talks a little bit about in the book that I really liked. And this was one of them, right? Lead wisely and people will follow. Kindness is an act of strength. He talked a little bit about that sort of with the vulnerability issue too, right? It's a leadership asset. He talked about this, I thought, which was really interesting, sort of that invisible man. He goes, invisibility confers power. He goes, you want to have a presence and influence even when you aren't there. And so you build a culture so that's sort of omnipresent. You create perceptions, right? It, and this can open doors and create possibilities and opportunities for those who are willing to see, right? He used the example of the enlightened leaders seeing potential in people, situations, and others that are often overlooked. It creates a culture of invisibility that guides and drives people. I love this one too, probably the most. He talked about craftsmanship, um, and that's how he viewed his job. Every day he tried to get better at his craft. He put aside everything else, and his craft was to win. He didn't care about the money, the accolades, the tight, you know, winning the MVPs. He didn't care any all-star games he was on. It was all about learning and winning. And he goes, he made it his daily experience and his lifetime mission. He will, I love this quote. He says, he goes, we work to become, not to acquire. Mm. I, I love that one too, but about working at your craft. And I want to interject yeah. in this one. I think for everyone listening out there, if, if money is a motivator and it's a big goal, and that's one of the things, not only for your organization, but for yourself, you want to make a lot of money. That's a priority. I, that's, that's great. Um, you know, Bill Russell in the book says, you know, that wasn't the, that wasn't the driver. That was just about getting better every day. I don't care what side of the fence you are on. We all should be trying to get better. And I know the world, we always say win the 16, we all live in a complex, tough, competitive world. And one of the things that tends to be one of the first thing that slips when the world gets really busy, which it is, and it's complex, which it is, is that getting better. We are doing a lot of technical stuff. We are trying to get by and survive. And one of the first thing that goes for many of us out there is working on ourselves and our skill sets. So I, I love that you said that, and I'm glad that he talked about that in the book because a lot of us go day in and day out just working, doing our thing, and we get away from getting better. Yeah, and I love the idea of craftsmanship, whatever he does, because he talked about some of the summer jobs he had when he was in, uh, in grammar school and high school, because his dad was a bit of a taskmaster and, and uneducated. His dad was uneducated. They, he grew up in Louisiana. His grandfather was a free, was uh, the first free Russell, right? His oh, great grandfather was a slave, right? Interesting. And, and so they were uneducated, and, and, uh, he talked about the kind of tasks that they were given that uneducated blacks were allowed to do. And his dad was always, you do that job as well as you can do it, right? And that's that whole craftsmanship. Now, his craft app, you know, happened to be playing basketball at an elite level. But even when he was doing summer jobs, right, he always wanted to do it as well as he could possibly do it. And he talks about it was never an accident. He goes, it was always the result of effort principled intention, intelligent direction, and skillful execution. He goes, it, it was the highest choices of many alternatives, right? And I love that. You know, you think of how many times we show up to work and maybe don't make the highest 
choice of all the alternatives. You either take the easy way out, you don't give it your 100%. He was always about giving it everything he had to be the best he could on every, any given day. Um, and for leaders, he said, you, what you wanted to do and what we did at the Celtics, he talked about, was we made that craftsmanship contagious. So when you came and played with him, you're perfecting your craftsmanship was exceedingly important because you're trying to follow the Russell model, right? Yes. And that's what great leaders do, right? They lead not by just words, but also by actions. Um, and he, he talked about his goal was always to make himself the most complete colleague, leader, and person he could be. Yeah, he was, in, I mean, there's no doubt. Yeah. And the more you study Bill Russell, right, the more fondness you have for him. Well, that's like, you know, that whole debate. And obviously I'm a Jordan fan and grew up in, you know, it was a gift to watch him. And so oh, please don't go here. So don't go here. So he's number one. Um, oh. And then I always had LeBron two and Russell three. But I got to tell you, after reading this book, I'm not sure Russell wouldn't have handled, handed LeBron his head. So, uh, you know, obviously very different eras, very different athletes, and LeBron is amazing. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure, you know, he has all of this. And, and LeBron's a brilliant basketball player, too. That's the other thing you talk about. These these people that excel are really brilliant at their tasks. Yeah, and you I, know, it's not just athleticism. Well, um, and change agility for LeBron. I mean, what he does now sleeping and all this other stuff that he is put into his lifestyle and change that the average athlete will not do and the sacrifices. Uh, I have a lot of and respect. handling the social pressures. I mean, cover of Sports I, Illustrated as a high school, the social media, it's a different beast. There's no, there's no question about it, but it's made me, it's, it certainly made me at least consider the possibilities. Um, you know, Russell talks about personal integrity, and I love this part too because you don't hear this all the time um, today, right? Take responsibility for everything you do. Commit yourself to understanding what goes into your choices, and that's get as much information, take competing arguments, everything that provides you a willingness to choose rather than make an excuse, right? He goes on and talks about resiliency. That's his number eight one. Um, and I love this. He quotes Rudyard Kipling. When you meet triumph or disaster, treat those two imposters just the same, right? Give up the victim mentality. He goes, resilience is essential. One cannot be successful without resilience. Number nine is imagination. Always ask yourself, what if? Apply innovation. We talked a little bit about this before with Apple. Uh, Netflix looking, you know, innovating, finding a better way to deliver movies to people. Um, uh, an idea he talked about, Ooh, light a candle rather than curse the darkness. Uh, I thought that was a great way to look at it. Right. Um, and they talked about visualizing, right. He did that all the time. He would play out the games in his head against his opponents about how he wanted to move them differently. Um, you know, he said, Wilt was physically overpowering and I never wanted to anger him. He goes, so I could have blocked his shots, but I never did because I knew that would engage him. So instead, what I would do is push him a little further away from the basket. And I knew that squaring up your shoulders was always important to making baskets. So I always leaned on him a little bit so he couldn't quite do that. So he would miss shots and he would think he was missing shots because he was just having a bad game and an off night and it would deflate him instead of if he knew it was something I was doing or blocking a shot, how it would anger and engage him. And he goes, and then I knew I couldn't handle him. 
So, I mean, he played wow. the game on such an elite level. Um, that's, yeah. That's, that's, I mean, that's a whole, right? That's a whole nother. I've never heard anybody so, describe but any, that. Anything else you want to finish before we take a quick break here on Russell Rules before we yeah, uh, just go little, to our I'll, next topic, please? I'll get the last two. He talked about discipline and decision-making. Um, and decision-making is what separates leaders. Uh, the best the best leaders are the best decision makers. And then the last one he talked about is everyone can win. Um, he goes, winning is hard work. It's the culmination of attitude, aptitude, and, and appetite. Uh, if it were easy, everyone would do it. But he goes, commit yourself to doing it. Start now. Uh, and then he closes with this, which I also thought was great. You know, he goes, give $4 of value for every $3 you'll get paid and you'll work forever. <laughs> and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, that's yeah, a, it's, it says, he's it's a smart man. He, it's a quick book, uh, but it's a great read. And it really does tie into a lot of the things that we've been talking about. So I thought it was a good book to review. Great. Thanks for sharing, bud. He, he exemplifies leadership. Yeah, no question. I, so, I, the more you learn about him, the more impressive he is. Well, why don't we do this? We're going to take a quick break. Thank you for listening to Win the 16 podcast. And we are going to touch on... Uh, a book called The Six Types of the Working Genius when we get back. Thank you for listening. If you're an individual or an organization contemplating personal and professional development, reach out to Pygon One Consulting to have a discovery conversation regarding how we can help you and your business. Please visit our website at pygonone.com to start your journey. Welcome back to Win the 16 podcast. Now, Bud just got done discussing Bill Russell's book on leadership. Now we're going to talk, the next topic we're going to talk about is going to be optimizing the productivity in your day and your happiness. And the book that uh, I read recently in the last month is called The Six Types of Working Genius. The writer is Patrick Lencioni. It was published in 2022. I'm leaning back. As Bud, you know, fables have become a, interest of mine. I've really started to enjoy them more and more. So this is a fable. You're going to love the character. I think I already told you the main character in this book, his name uh, is Bull Brooks. I'll say that again. Bull Brooks. I love that name. Bull. If I, if I have another kid, it's going to be Bull. Uh, I just, I got a kick out of that. This book, Bud, what attracted me to it is something you and I are huge believers in. So shockingly, I went to a book that is of high interest. And that is, you and I both believe, you know, Strength Finders, we've taken that assessment. We've taken the H5 test, which is another different type of strength assessment to see what we're really good at, as well as some other things that maybe we're not so good at. This book on the six types of working genius, it, ultimately talks about if we can spend a majority of our time or a lot of our time in what we're really good at. In the book, he talks about spending time in your God-given talents and what you're just really, really good at. And shockingly, when you do that, not only are you more productive for yourself in the company or the organization you work for, you're happier. In, in this book, and I don't want to give it away, but Bull Brooks, the main character, talks about to his wife and other people, all these different jobs from 
working in a bank and these other things over the years, he's not happy. Even when he started his own company and he had to tell his wife, he's like, I'm not that happy. And she's like, you gotta be kidding me. What do you mean you're not happy? You're running your own company. It's what you wanted to do. And ultimately what they found or what he found was he was spending too much time running his company outside of his working genius. And again, working genius is what your God-given talents are, what you're really, really good at. He found himself doing things that he was competent at, as well as doing things that kind of frustrate him. He could do it, but again, it wasn't something he was passionate about, wasn't something he liked. So the reason I wanted to talk about this book with you today, Bud, and our audience was this, these working geniuses that he talks about, there's actually an assessment now. So Patrick Lencioni uh, built an assessment with his team where you can go online and take this assessment to see where your working geniuses are. And I, so I did take that. I, I think I sent that to you for you to take at some point, Bud. And my two working geniuses were galvanizing, which means I enjoy and I get joy out of having people get moved around a cause or an action, or I get, I enjoy when we come up with something, getting people to rally around them and to take action and create energy. The other one, one of my working geniuses per the assessment was tenacity, which that is getting things across the finish line, finishing things, accomplishment, which that goes right in line with my strength finders. And I wanted to share that with you is there's other working geniuses that if you took the assessment, you'd find, but it also gives you the things that frustrate you in this assessment. And in the book, they talk about that. So here for everyone out there, I want to put this all together for everybody, for your own self individually, and then for you leaders out there who have a team or an organization or a business owner. How many people do we have working with us that are not spending a lot of time in their working geniuses? They're doing a job or a role that is not things that they're great at and that they love. Probably affects culture. It affects productivity. It clearly affects their happiness too. We just might not know that. That's why this really jumped out at me, but it just, it was a light bulb moment for me when I read the book. You know, that I, go ahead, jump in, no, please. No, that, that seems like one of the key to being a good leader too, right? Is putting your people in positions to win. And that would be playing to their strengths. You know, you and I talk about that, about coaches, you know, they come in, I've got my system, even though their system, none of the players they have can do what they want them to do. And it's really the good coaches that can say, oh, here are my players. Here's what they can do. And this is how we're going to use that as opposed to, well, this is what I do. Amen. It, he, Bull Books in the book says, work isn't life, but it's a big part of it. It's a big part of it. And if we can get people to spend more time in their God-given talents, everything, basically, we, when you listen to the book or you read the book, listen to it however you it is crystal clear if we get people to be doing more things that they're really, really good at and their God-given talents, basically everything within the organization goes up. Productivity, culture, happiness, empowerment. They have more energy to do more. Conversely, 
what he gets into as well is when we've got people doing things that frustrate them to a significant degree, they start to lose energy. They get frustrated. Their happiness goes down. Hence, you put all that together, the productivity goes down. We just might not see it. Even the other part that he talks about is, he talks about is competencies, things that we're competent at, but it's not our God-given talent. And at some point, even things that we're competent at, but they're not our working genius. They're not things that we're great at or we love doing. If we spend all our time or a predominant amount of our time in our competencies areas, those two will exhaust us. Those two will zap us of energy and those two will affect our productivity. He says it right in the book that he was doing what they uncovered when they all started thinking about why is he happy? He was doing a lot of things in the competency, not in the genius part. So I thought the book was eye-opening. Um, this is new data. This is new information. This just came out recently, 2022. But I was, I loved it so much. I sent an email to the Working Genius website and asked him or somebody in the organization to, to come on as a guest oh, for you awesome. and I. Yeah. And you know what? Guess what? Within two days, they got back to me. They said, right now, we're not doing any more of those, uh, but keep us in mind for the future. I thought that was pretty cool because a lot of times, sometimes people don't even respond. And they got back to me within 48 hours thanking me for sending an invite out to them. So I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, but anything you want to – I know you haven't do, read it yet. Yeah, I haven't read it. So do they talk about – you know, I, I mean, obviously you can't be a genius at everything. So when you're running a company like that, how do you handle not, how do you handle getting away from doing the things that you're not in your genius? Do you hire other people that those are their genius areas? The things he was competent at or frustrated by, but obviously those are things that need to get done. So somebody has to do it. Exactly. Exactly. And I think that's where it ties into his assessment is when you're hiring do you have a diverse group of people yeah, there you do go. you have the people yep. and i and we've talked about this with starting pygon one my inner circle like you and i are such proponents of disc i i feel like you and i are getting royalties from personality assessments but it just makes so much sense well that's that self-awareness though it, it helps you right it, it, yeah i just i i just sent it um uh, uh, an executive slash friend the other day and like, why am I doing this? I go, because it's going to make your entire life better, easier, and more productive. He's like, all right, I'll do it. And I can't wait to get the results back because what he is going to uncover is he's going to uncover the different assets he has within his organization and how to get the best out of them and the most out of them if he's willing to adapt his behaviors and create a culture and environment where everybody understands each other. I'm going to finish what I was going to go to, but that was with regards to the book, Win the 16, Pygon One Consulting, and in the podcast to a degree, my inner circle of friends, my personality is the driver type, taking action, getting things done, as well as it's the is influencer, communication, talking to people. Well, you and two of my other best friends, you guys are critical thinkers. You all are wonderful for me because anytime I come with any new idea, 
or any type of information, you all have a litany of questions. And I know I have to be ready because it's not going to be a two minute conversation. The one question is going to turn to six. And I learned so much and things that I wasn't thinking about, you guys bring to my attention, uh, the book the same way. It, so it's just so critical if we can add that. And there is a working genius in there, which I don't want to give it away because when you take the assessment, I already know what one of your geniuses is going to be when you take it. So I, I've already got that one written down. <laughs> yeah. But I think, you know, in, in the Russell book talks about that too, is, you know, the whole sense of teamwork and how the pieces fit together. And then thinking about how you work together and what your strengths are. And he talked about that too, you know, and in, in certain teams, he obviously was always the defensive anchor and it allowed his players to play very freely because they knew they had Bill standing back there yes. to block shots, right? Yes. Uh, you can only imagine, you know, I mean, now you lead the league if you block three shots a game, blocking eight to nine shots every game. I mean, it was insane. So I think it's something we can't even imagine because we've really never seen that kind of a player. Um, but how then it all fit in and how he developed this, well, Kuzi liked to run the break. And so I wanted to get the ball out to him. And then when Kuzi retired, you know, well, here's where the other strengths. So we had to change how we behaved to fit in with the different team, mm. right? As opposed to just saying, well, well we're going to keep doing it this way. Um, and so I think these kinds of things play into what we're talking about and what good leaders or at least leaders that differentiate themselves and separate themselves do. And Bud, to finish this segment out and uh, of this podcast, the book, the six types of working genius, I believe if nothing else, this is just one of those things that should go on that checklist for leaders and managers and parents and coaches who are, having influence on people that is there across from this person, I think it should be a question that we should ask. You and I always kid around with the point is, what is your superpower? Uh, you know, what are you great at? You and I talk about, we've had many conversations about our superpowers that will, and all of us out there have one. I just don't know if the average organization out there thinks in this light on a consistent basis. So I was hoping today was not, I'm not trying to sell the book. I am not trying to get everyone to take this assessment. What I am saying is for all of us leaders out there and individuals, is it worth a contemplative moment to reflect and really think about what are we just really good at? What, what God-given talent do we have at work or personally? And are we using it as much as we could? And if we're not, What's the opportunity? And for us individuals out there who are reporting to somebody, this would be a great conversation when you have your weekly, monthly, quarterly meetings with your boss saying, I I'd love to, I want to talk to you about this. I want to talk to you about my career. I want to talk to you about my current role and how I could use what I'm really good at more often. Could you help me? And then my next role, I'd really like to get that role where I can even spend more time on what is my working genius or God-given talent. That was my takeaway, Bud, that I wanted everyone to hear today is, I think this could be another tool in the tool belt for not only individuals, but leaders and executives and parents and coaches out there for discussions that they're having with people they can influence. 
anything else before we part ways today, Bud, from your perspective? No, no. I, you know, I think uh, both books are great and definitely worth, uh, worth reading. Completely agree. So thank you everyone for listening to Win the 16 podcast. Again, I have to say thank you for the kindness uh, for those of you who've bought the book, Win the 16 Principles and Strategies to Optimize Your Day. It's truly an honor to have you read it. The audible version of this, I know we've had many people, Bud, you've had people ask you, I've had people. We will have that sometime in the summertime, probably more towards the end, but we will let you know when that version comes out. And again, uh, we look forward to talking with you or having another podcast two weeks from today. And again, everybody, please win the 16. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Win the 16 podcast presented by Pygon One. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcast. Episodes will be released every other Wednesday at 7 a.m. Central Time. Thank you and go win the 16.